Hi, welcome to Professor Forever. I am the Professor Forever. Someone I love very much has recently been devastated by a tragic death in her family. And a good friend of mine passed away on Valentine's Day. This week also marks a death of a very significant member of my family. My nephew, Mike, died 11 years ago this week. You may have heard the adage before. It's an idea that a person is never truly dead until the last person that ever heard a story about them dies. Some version of that story is told in the movie Coco. I like that story. I remember hearing it for the first time sitting on the rocks at Lake Michigan. It made me feel hopeful about the future. The thought that maybe we could live on further than our lives allowed. Jane Hirschfield has a fantastic poem. It's titled, It Was Like This. You are happy. In essence, it tells the story that one can never really know what the true essence of another person is. You can't say it and you can't write it down because you can't know it. All we can say as humans is that this human that we lost, they were, like the rest of us, someone who had ups and downs and someone who made choices. This is the story slash stories of Mike today. There will be some ups, some downs, and some choices. I certainly cannot capture his essence, but I can introduce him to you and let him, in that way, exist another day. Picture him as I last saw him. Aging, ruggedly handsome, calloused hands, limping, rebellious and sweet. He was... Born in the summer of my ninth year, I'm a young aunt. I have a picture that I love of the two of us. I have a dress on, so I'm guessing that it was either a Sunday or a holiday or a holiday Sunday. And I'm holding him. He is more than half of my size. He's wearing these cute blue striped overalls. I'm having trouble holding him because he's so big. A few months away from this picture, he will scoot over the linoleum floor in this kitchen of this house 
that I never wanted to leave. With those feathery steps of a baby in a walker. And my mom and I won't even notice. And then all of a sudden he'll be at the top of the stairs at an open cellar door. I ran over and she ran over and we watched him. I I could still see it right now. Bouncing down those steps. Clunk, clunk, clunk. Surprisingly, he never topples over. He just makes 14 clunks and then glides over to the wall. No sound. Except for my mom and I screaming and racing down the stairs to grab him up from this bumpy ride. He just looked at us and smiled. We couldn't know then, but the bumpy ride would become a common metaphor for Mike's life. But before that, I have another distinct memory of Mike as a child. He has this little green suit on. The suit is complete with this little clip-on tie and shiny saddle shoes. They look like little spats underneath his pants. We are in the basement of the Mill Creek Baptist Church on Shenley Avenue in Youngstown. I'm babysitting him during the evening service. I smell cookies and coffee in the air. I see that the bathroom in that room A long room is just a toilet, and there's a curtain in front of it instead of a door. He's holding his dapper Dan doll. It teaches kids how to button and use snaps and use a zipper. I look him in the eyes, and I say, Look at me. Mike, look. Someday... I am going to bring up this memory. I want you to remember that we were here this evening, whatever the date was, and we're together and we're happy and we're healthy. Let's just see if this memory trick can work. I bring it up again in his life when he's about seven and then again when he's about 27 but he doesn't remember the memory either time. And we just laugh about it. When he's in between the ages of six and nine, I take Mike and his sister with me in my car to whatever practice I'm going to. Softball practice, basketball practice, golf practice, etc. I let them run free, doing whatever they want. This is one of the reasons I thought I would not be a good mother. Usually, it took a coach telling me to eventually wrangle them up that made me go get them. I could still see them running under the bleachers in the gymnasium of my high school or lying down in the back seat of my Vega 
in the summer sun at the Austintown Township Park. I realized later why they were laying on the back seat. Excuse me, lying on the back seat. Because I had a floor uh, that had a hole in it, and the muffler had a hole in it. And so some of the fumes were seeping up into the car, the exhaust fumes. So I was actually poisoning them, so much so that they went to sleep. I was putting them to sleep on my way to practice. But I never knew. So then when he's about 10, his whole family moves away. And I don't see my sister and her family very often then. When we come back together, when our lives blend back together, he's about 18 and I'm 27. We both have changed a lot. And we both are in a situation where we moved back in with our mothers again. I'm back in my hometown. He has just moved with his family back to my sister's hometown, same hometown. We bond, and then we have a bumpy road together. We start to party together, and we party hard. And to that friend whose wedding reception was marred a little bit by Mike's behavior, I am again truly sorry. I should have wrangled him in. I was older. Now Mike is a roofer, and he rebuilds cars. I cover a nearby village as a reporter for a newspaper. The smell of petroleum is in the air. When my mom dies, Mike kind of goes crazy, and he runs to the Latrobe Mountains for days, drinking and smoking, trying to get over his grief. He eventually moves to Cleveland, and I head to Chicago, and then San Diego. We reunite because he has neck surgery, and the surgery goes bad, and he needs a lot of help. I'm on a break from school, so I go to Cleveland to help him. He tells me how to raise fish, shows me how to clean my sneakers well. He wants to get custody of his daughter, although he has no way to care for her well. When we are driving in the car one time, I hear the Black Eyed Peas songs, My Lumps, for the first time. I say, what is it that that woman just said? And he says to me very flatly in his low voice, My Lumps, My Lumps, My Lovely Lady Lumps. It's absurd. This rugged, macho man saying these words about being a, having lovely lady lumps. We laugh and laugh. When I go home, we try to astral travel to each other. When he comes to visit, he runs into the ocean, kicking his knees straight up like a baby, running for the first time, screaming with joy. Later, he asks a young girl in Old Town if he could take a picture of her. She says no. We go to Hollywood, and we get stuck in a tour van outside Michael Jackson's house on the day MJ dies. 
Things start to frazzle between us. Bumpy roads. We both do say things that are wrong. We lose touch. But I know we'll get back together again. Then, on March 27th, 2010, I receive a call from my niece. I'm going in to teach a class, so I let the call go to voicemail. You can guess what she screamed. He had a heart attack from doing too much at a stranger's house. The strangers were involved in some activity that they didn't want people to know about, so they didn't call the police for a day or two. It's a horrible story. But in my mind, I'm relieved that they didn't just throw his body in the river. I have Mike now. I think of the poem song by Bridget Pegeen Kelly. It's a sad, meditative piece I love. It's about loss an action that you can't undo, and the sting of memory associated with that impossibility. If only, is what I think after reading the poem again. Please consider telling someone or several someones about someone who has died and left your life. It's good to keep a story going. Thank you for listening. Get thinking. She's got no lessons planned for me because she's not that fancy. She's a professor forever.